biography Living Without Fear and the co-publisher of the Amazon best-selling Inspired Journeys. Get in touch with me if you want to start living without fear. And please share this podcast with a friend who you know needs to hear this episode. Subscribe to my newsletter and YouTube channel. Write a short review and rate it on your favorite podcast platform with a lot of stars if you enjoyed it. Thank you so much for your support. This truly means a lot to me. And today I'm so excited to have Angie Reed with me. She's a two-time stroke survivor, author, motivational speaker, and life coach focused on helping female stroke survivors reclaim their confidence and move forward with purpose following their stroke. Her books give stroke survivors hope and inspiration that they can rise again after the mental and emotional impact of a stroke. The same way she did six years ago at the age of 46 after 25 successful years as a public relations professional. Welcome to the show, dear Angie. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. <laughs> so let's start. Where has been your turning moment in life? Yeah, so everything was going great with my life. I was 46, active, mother of three, and they were teenagers at the time. And um, just, you know, everything was going along just perfectly or, you know, quote unquote, perfectly. And then um, I had a stroke that completely paralyzed the left side of my body for momentarily. Um, luckily, my husband caught the stroke, saw the signs very, very quickly, called 911, and I got to the hospital very quickly, and I had emergency uh, brain surgery, so a thrombectomy where they went, they found two clots, one in my neck and one in my brain. They went up, and they retrieved the clots and pulled them out, and um, within, I don't know what timing it was probably within a couple of hours I was able to move again on my left side um, and it took a lot of, of rehab to get back to quote-unquote normal but that was definitely the turning point in my life I mean I've had a lot of a lot of things happen throughout my life but that was the biggest turning point hmm. and what have you been thinking about around the first two days or weeks after the stroke? Yeah, so, you know, I I was more just confused about it than anything. I didn't really, I, I don't think I grasped the seriousness of what I went through because it just didn't seem real. It seemed surreal because I was, I was healthy, I was active, I was, you know, at the top of my game and I just thought I would just, immediately bounce right back as soon as I got my movement back on the left side I was like okay I'm gonna be fine and um, just figured that everything would go forward you know perfectly and that I would recover 100% and be the same person again and then what happened and then um, I was very lucky because I did get most of my physical uh, movement back I don't have a lot of outward deficits. If you looked at me, you probably wouldn't know I had a stroke. I don't have this typical telltale signs of left or, you know, facial drooping or um, 
I'm able to use my arms and legs. I'm able to walk, talk, everything. So I went back to work two months later after some um, really intense physical, occupational, and speech therapy um, to get everything back. And then once I looked fine, once I could get around the house okay, and I I was kind of going stir crazy at home. I wanted to get back to work. I've always been kind of a workaholic. <laughs> and um, as soon as I got back to work, the pressure started to mount. And I realized pretty quickly that I was not mentally able to handle it all. I was having some horrible anxiety and depression. I had insomnia and I was unable to eat. And that was wreaking havoc on my brain because your brain after a stroke needs lots and lots of rest, lots and lots of great nutrition. And I wasn't getting either. And then putting the pressure on of my job and just anxiety and depression, I I kind of lost it. I, I tell people I had a nervous breakdown because I don't know how else to explain it. I, I completely had a break with reality and, and had to be um, hospitalized for mental health issues. Mm. And how did you get out of that? Oh, gosh. Uh, you know, it took a long time. Uh, I Luckily, I was able to get mental health therapy and help because I had great insurance. So I didn't have to struggle with that financially. And I found a great psychiatrist that came highly recommended through some family friends. And he has been fabulous throughout it. When I first met with him, my sister went with me because I was having a hard time articulating what was happening with me. I just knew I wasn't myself. Um, I just, uh, I just needed help. And he immediately, the first time I met with him said, we will get through this together. We will find a solution. And, you know, I just felt so supported having a medical professional say, we, we will do this together. And, um, he had faith in me. I, so I had faith in him. And then I found a fabulous therapist and, she and her team offered an intensive outpatient program that I went through for anxiety and depression. It was uh, three days a week, three hours at a time in a group setting. And it was very, it was very intense. And um, I credit that program really with saving my life in combination with some med medications that my psychiatrist put me on. But it was just a lot of just, I had to pull the strength up from deep in my belly and just move forward. And there were days that I did not want to, there were days I didn't want to get out of bed. There were days I felt like completely worthless and completely like I was a failure. Um, you know, we women sometimes put so much pressure on ourselves to be perfect. And I was pressuring myself to be the woman I was prior to my stroke. And I, I didn't understand why I couldn't be her. And that was, that was scary, but I worked and worked and worked on it. It took probably, well, it's still a work in progress. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I don't think I can say that I'm, I'm not the same person I was before the stroke. I've changed and I've grown and I actually appreciate the person I am now a little bit more because I'm slightly less selfish, slightly less obsessed with my career. <laughs> um, in fact, I, I did go back to corporate communications and public relations and, um, Eventually, I was able to go back after about two years, and um, I just recently got laid off from my most recent job, and so I had to kind of pull myself out of that and move forward, and now I'm moving forward with a completely different purpose in life, and hopefully using my experiences 
and what I've gone through, what I've been able to achieve since the stroke to help other women. Hmm. And Angie, how was it in your childhood? When did it start actually that you got so severely into doing and um, yeah, showing yes. everybody that you're wonderful and you're doing beautifully and from childhood uh probably from day one I was always just this whirlwind of activity and just very you know a creative kid and always wanted to to I don't know get good grades getting straight A's was important to me being kind of the star student was always important to me I don't know why it's not like I had a lot of pressure from my family to do it um I just put a lot of pressure on myself since I was a kid to if I was running for student council, I had to run for president. And if I was running for any kind of club position, it always had to be, you know, president. So um, it's just always been in me to just go, go, go. My compass has always been set to go for some reason. And what's your motto, your philosophy today, or how would you summarize? How is Angie today? You know, I'm doing great. I'm happy with where I'm at. Kind of my motto, when people ask me what my motto is, it's always that what you focus on, you find. So what, and what some people say, what you seek, seeks you, some of that stuff. It's really about if you focus on positivity, if you focus on growth and healing, that is what you'll find. Now, if you focus on the negative, that is also what you'll find. So be careful what your thoughts are telling you, because it's, it's everything, everything is based on the thoughts that we have about ourselves. And so be careful with the thoughts and focus on something positive, because if you want positivity in your life, you have to focus on that and work toward that. So that's kind of my motto. What you focus on, you find. Mm. And how do you start your day today? Because sometimes me too, um, even, yeah, having had some depressions. And so sometimes it's, hard to to get up but then yeah. I work on myself how do you do it you Angie yes yeah I'm so glad you asked that question because I have a really awesome morning routine that mm -hmm. was suggested to me by one of my coaches that I hired of you know to help me to help me get over some 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 personal challenges career-wise um and I get up first when I get up in the morning I get up when I wake up instead of staying in bed and stewing. Sometimes our thoughts, you know, can get on a hamster wheel first thing we, as we wake up. And it's important to get out of bed. Um, I have a big glass of water and then I meditate. Um, I use guided meditations. So you can find some on YouTube or you can find some in different apps. Headspace is a great app I really enjoy. And Calm, those are two apps that, I, that I've used and really enjoy. Um, and so I do about 10 minutes of meditation every morning, if not more, sometimes it's closer to 30 minutes. It really just depends on where my head is at. And it's about focusing in on the present moment and just clearing my mind. Um, and then after I meditate, I journal for a little bit and I make sure that I write down and my, my magic number is 10. So I will look at I will write down 10 things I'm grateful for. So if you keep a gratitude journal, it's great to do that first thing in the morning after you've meditated. And then 
And then I write down 10 things I'm really good at or 10 things that I believe about myself, self brags, if you will. And they start out with I am statements. So, I mean, because the most powerful statement we can tell ourselves every day is I am enough. I do enough. I am enough. And then I, you know, it's, I am strong. I am capable. I am, you know, confident all of the, I am statements and don't have it be a negative. Don't say I am worthless. I mean, I, that, that would never work. You have to think positive and, and start filling your mind and thoughts first thing in the morning with positive affirmations for yourself. I always laugh because there was that Saturday night live skit with Stuart Smalley who would look in the mirror and tell himself affirmations but they really do work. It really does help retrain your brain to, to say nicer things to yourself and be your best friend. Absolutely. And that's, that's really how I start my morning. And, and if I feel like it, I will get my exercise in. I try to do like every other day or so I do um, about 20 minutes on my elliptical and 20 minutes on my treadmill. And that's when I read. It's really helpful when you pair something that you don't necessarily want to do with something that you do want to do, like reading a book because then you'll be more, more motivated to do what you don't want to do. Hmm. So that's kind of typically what my, my morning looks like. And I try to keep that routine. Routine is very important when you, when you're struggling with your mental health to, to have that routine, because when you don't, it feels like chaos and chaos is bad for the anxious mind and depressed mind. Hmm. Love it. Do you have also a evening ritual? You know, um, not really, because I, I tend to just unplug and just kind of veg out in the evening. Mm -hmm. um, that's when I might catch up on my Netflix, you know, series that I'm like binging. Uh, and then I kind of almost pass out around 8.30 or 9 o'clock at night, because even though it's been six years since my stroke, my brain is still working over time to make new, you know, neuro connections and to rewire itself around the, the scar tissue. And um, that's exhausting, whether you are doing anything physical or not, it just exhausts me. So by the end of the day, I kind of pass out around 8.30 or 9. And so I usually watch a little TV and then go to bed. Mm. Um, I know it's not, a, it's not exciting. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I can relate to that um, sometimes. I, I try to do meditation, but I'm sometimes I'm so tired and I need my rest. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's and, why I do them in the morning because I know I'll do them. They set my day up for positivity. And then by the end of the day, I know I'm probably not going to do it. So yeah. I, I that's why I do it first thing in the morning. Mm, yeah, me too. And... um. What do you tell yourself during the day? Because I was like that. And I know a lot of people, there's a lot of negative self-talk always going on. How do you help yourself with that? Yeah, one of the um, one of the tools I use is naming your inner critic. So my mm -hmm. I, I always like to start with like the first letter of your first name and give your inner critic a horrible, horrible name. <laughs> or some a name that you think is horrible and I don't want to offend anybody but my inner critic I named her Agatha starting with an A for like Angie okay so Agatha is my inner critic and when she starts telling me things like you're not good enough or you need to try harder I say I tell her to shut up I visualize putting her if 
if I'm driving the car of my life, I visualize putting her in the back seat or sometimes even in the trunk. Um, <laughs> you know, you can't get rid of your inner critic. Nobody can. Everybody, even, you know, the president of the United States is going to have negative self-talk and have that inner critic. And you just have to learn how to live with that critic and um, don't let them, don't let them take over your mind. I mean, remember it's all our thoughts and we can control our, if we can control our thoughts, we can control our feelings, our actions and the results that we, we get out of life. So I, I tell Agatha to, to shut up and I, it just, it's kind of funny if you name that your inner critic, and then you can tell your inner, inner critic to, to take a hike <laughs> or get in the back seat and shut up. Or put, put her in the cellar or somewhere. Right. Put her in timeout. <laughs> she needs, to, she needs to, to get over herself, yeah. but it's, it's a little, you know, it's a, it's a little trick that I use that does help. Mm. Wonderful. And I apologize to anybody named Agatha who's listening, but <laughs> to me, she is, she is the worst. Mm. Yeah. But I think I, it's, it's not, it's not possible to not have an inner critic. Every, if you're a human being, you have an, an inner critic, but it's just a matter of, are you letting them, you know, be a loud voice in your head? Or are you letting them be a soft voice in your head? Are you putting them in their place? Hmm. Totally. And what are your dreams nowadays, Angie? What would you like to, where would you like to be in maybe five years or 10 years? Well, still alive, <laughs> for one thing. Of course. And, you know, I, I look forward to my kids having getting married and having kids, hopefully, and becoming a grandma. I mean, I'm already a grandma. My stepsons both have children and so I'm a grandma to them and I just look forward to more grandchildren and just living a life that feels really full um personally and professionally I hope that my coaching business grows and that I can reach more female stroke survivors and help them overcome the confidence challenge that we all tend to have in ourselves but when you've had a stroke or another major life crisis health crisis it's really easy to feel down about yourself because you can't do what you did before, or you don't think you can. And um, just overcoming those, those challenges and mental hurdles. And I just, I really hope I can reach as many women like me and help pull them up because I went through the fire and there's no reason why everybody else has to, I can give them a shortcut around it um, because I've got the tools and techniques and just the, the willingness to help and I've been where they are so I can understand. So hopefully in five years, I'm still coaching people to their, to their greatest level of confidence. And so that they can move forward with purpose. And a lot of people find a new purpose after a health scare or crisis. And um, that's what I've done because I always, my purpose before was to just always make a lot of money and keep growing my career in communications. And now I think God has sent me plenty of signals that maybe I should be doing something else. And it feels really good when I talk to other stroke survivors and I'm able to help them. Um, it just, it feels really good and it, and it unites us and stroke is so common and it's getting more common with younger and younger people. So a lot of people think of stroke as somebody, you know, maybe seventies, eighties or, or, or older but it really, young stroke is impacting anybody under the, the age of 40 or 50. 
and more and more people are having stroke and it's it's scary and it's the uh, mental health impact and fallout that you feel after a stroke is something that not enough people are talking about. There are two conditions called, one's post-stroke anxiety or PSA and post-stroke depression, PSD. And my biggest hope is that rehab centers start adding mental health therapy along with physical, occupational, and speech therapy. Mental health therapy, because if you can get ahead of it before somebody has an issue and give them some tools, they might not get into the deep dark hole that I got myself into. Hmm. Wonderful. And Angie, is there something you we didn't mention until now which helped you a lot on your journey? Yeah, I was, you know, very lucky to have a very supportive and loving husband and to have a family around me that Honestly, my family has dealt with mental health issues. It kind of runs in my family and I have two older sisters and they had both had their own mental health issues in the past. And it just, it helped to have their support along the way because they were able to point me in the right direction to, you know, to get the help I needed. And a lot of people don't know where to start. Um, you know, our primary care physicians are only equipped to help with um, so much uh, mental health, like medication. If you go to a psychiatrist, that's what they specialize in and they can help because my, my primary care physician uh, originally had me on a low dose of a pretty common anti-anxiety medication. And, you know, it did nothing for me. And then we started to experiment and I just didn't feel like she knew exactly how different medications would respond to my new kind of stroke damaged brain. So um, I'm sorry. Now I forgot the question. <laughs> <laughs> What helped you? You said, well, your yeah. family and those, yeah, your sisters who guided you into the good direction. Right. Yes. Yeah. So it really helped to have a community around me and to have mm -hmm. people who loved me and cared about me and wanted mm -hmm. me to get better. And, um, you know, unfortunately, I was always my own worst critic and always, mm -hmm. you know, the one who was telling myself, negative things but I luckily I didn't have a family doing the same thing because that would be awful and some stroke survivors mm -hmm. do you know do get a lot of pushback from their family when they're healing mm -hmm. because it, your healing journey can look so different everybody is so different some stroke survivors lose control of their emotional regulation so they might lash out and say mean things they might cry uncontrollably uncontrollably at something or something like that. But what really, really helped me is the love and support I had from my family and my friends. Hmm. And yeah, to stop this, this self-critics, criticism, that's, I think, a very, very important part. Maybe we should also teach our children or at school sometimes. I think Me, it took me so many years to get along with that. I went to therapy many, many years, but I, this negative self-talk, I didn't learn how to stop it only a few years ago. And this mm -hmm. is amazing. It's a new life. Right. We can let our inner critic take over and really ruin our lives. And mm -hmm. But it's within our control not to do that. And repetition is key. And filling your head with positive thoughts. That's why I do gratitudes. That's why I do self brags. And you have to do it every day. Repetition is key. And you can reprogram your brain to start telling yourself positive things. 
it's it is within our control we just have it's a learned skill and you're right not enough people are teaching it. and we're not teaching our kids but I have taught my kids <laughs> in fact my daughter who just turned 20 um she named her inner cr critic Gertrude because her her <laughs> real name is Ga Gabriella or Gabby and so we came up with Gertrude on ourselves on our mm. own and we laugh about Gertrude and Agatha and what <laughs> horrible you know witches they are and <laughs> Oh, so I taught her, yeah, I taught her how to name her inner critic and, you know, gosh, that girl has so much confidence and just so much mm. uh, zest for life. And I just hope that never stops. I hope her inner critic, I hope Gert Gertrude always takes backstage. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, would you like to add something to our conversation? Maybe our listeners should know or do. Yeah. Um, so uh, I would love for people to, to know where to find me. And you can learn about my coaching program at LegacyCoachingForHer.com. Um, and then also I've got several books available on Amazon. Uh, and my, my name is Angie Reed, R-E-A-D, like read a book. And I've got Invisible Scars, Stroke Survival, Recovery, and the Unexpected Mental Health Fallout. That's my first book. And I've got um, Identity Crisis, You Are Not Your Career. I wrote that book specifically, really um, based on my experience of having my own identity crisis when I thought I would never be able to go back to my career of corporate communications. And I identified so closely with what I did for a living that I hardly knew who I was without a career. And that's, it's so common. And I, that's where I wrote that book from a place of, but as I was finishing the book, I got laid off from my current my most recent, recent communications position. And so I had to go back through, read my book again that I had just mm -hmm. finished writing and incorporate a lot of what I was teaching into how I approached my own job loss. And I think, I think it was a sign from the universe that I actually wrote that book and then got laid off because I had the tools right at my fingertips mm -hmm. to help me. But mm -hmm. it's a good, it's, it would be a good book for anybody who's struggling with you know, with losing a job or career and then, you know, mm -hmm. having some kind of an identity crisis because of it. And then I've written a very small, I call it a little booklet called Mental Health Hacks, 10 Easy Hacks to Help Manage Anxiety and Depression. And these are things that I've learned through years and years of therapy, years and years of professional coaching and just trial and error. And I just really my message to everybody is if you trust in the universe, the universe has, has your back, just mm -hmm. focus what you focus on, you find, and the universe has your back. So those mm -hmm. are, those really are my kind of my key messages to the world. Mm. So thank you so much, Yerundi, and thank you for keep on shining a yeah, light um, in this world. I try, I try. <laughs> And thank you, dear listener, for spending your precious time with us today. And in case you feel worthless and nobody seems to like you, we tell you, you're amazing. We love you and you're a gift to everyone who crosses your path. And please tell yourself these sentences over and over again. Have an amazing day and talk to you next week. <laughs>